The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Etchman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives. So consider whether it's appropriate for you. Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us. Hey, Tash, how are you doing? I'm good. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited about today's episode. Yes, it's going to be very good. going to be very interesting. Yes, because we're going to talk about the different types of things you can invest in. So we're going to be talking about cash, bonds, shares, and property. Before we get started, Tash, when you thought about investing, what are the things that you thought you could invest in? When I heard the word investing, I pretty much just thought shares. Like you imagine all the screens and everyone looking at the stock market and all of that. And that's what I thought investing was. And then I heard about property investing because everyone back then, not everyone, but lots of people seem to have investment properties, but they weren't kind of referred to in the same way. I didn't realize cash was considered an investment, for example, or those like wonderful things called bonds. What did you think? Yeah, I think I, I also thought it was shares just going up and down the red and, and, and uh, green screens. Yeah. But but the interesting thing is around all these different investments is that there's things to consider, such as like risk tolerance or diversification or returns on them. So it's great to know that there are different types of investments that you can invest in based on your appetite. Yeah. I think a lot of people just think you have to go straight into shares when shares actually don't match a lot of people's risk tolerance goals or timeframes, what they're wanting to achieve from investing. So it's very important to consider that. So we're going to talk about the different types of investments, but before we do, we thought it was really important to define what a risk tolerance is. Tash, do you want to tell us what that is? Yes. So risk tolerance is just the level of risk that an investor is willing to take, which pretty much summed up is the amount of money that you're willing to lose. So if you want to invest in a high risk investment, you have to be very willing to maybe lose all of your money compared to a lower risk investment, which is a lot safer. And um, we're going to start off with cash, which is actually quite low risk. So with cash, that's the first type of investment we'll be talking about. The potential return on cash investments are generally low, but the risk is also low. So cash is considered to be a very safe place to put your money. How do we actually invest in cash though? Yeah, that's a great question. So cash investments include your savings accounts and term deposits. In Australia, deposits are guaranteed up to 250000 through an ADI, which is an authorized deposit-taking institution. So cash is good for short-term goals because it's a way to reduce risk in an investment portfolio. The accounts typically used for cash are high-interest savings accounts or an offset account which you use to offset a property interest. And the way that they're used is often if you're looking to save for an emergency fund, paying down debt, or if you have some kind of short-term goals. So in short, cash is the safest of these investments that we'll be talking about, but it's also the one that yields the lowest returns, meaning you won't get rich off cash, but you also won't lose all your money quickly. You've made cash sound pretty good. Very good. (laughs) Where do you put your cash? Currently, all my cash is sitting in my offset account to offset the interest of my primary residence. And that's also where we include our emergency fund and so forth. So all, all our, we have a large amount of cash that we're trying to put there as interest rates rise and fluctuate. What about you? 
I would love to have an offset account, but I don't have one at the moment. I have a property, but it's got a fixed interest mortgage, so no offset for me. So I just have a high interest savings account and that's where I put my emergency fund and I kind of have like a buffer fund in there as well. And then I have like my normal transaction account, but I wouldn't call that an investment because it doesn't earn any interest on it. Yeah, right. That's fair. But it is it does uh, mitigate any risk that you might have in the future for yourself. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Having the emergency fund and buffer fund there because we don't want to be selling shares or selling. I can't really sell my property really quickly if I need something. So yeah, it's good. Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about bonds, which is a type of fixed interest investment. Bonds are basically just loans made to companies or governments. When you buy a bond, you're essentially lending money in exchange for regular interest payments. So just like in your savings account, you will likely earn interest on your money. However, unlike your savings account, the money you invest in bonds may go up or down. Who knew that you could just lend money to a government? It's pretty cool. Bonds have a slightly higher return than cash, but this will often depend upon counterparty risk. This is the risk that the government or company you lend money to defaults and doesn't pay you back. This can vary from low to medium risk as loans to stable governments like us in Australia or in the US are almost risk-free compared to loans to companies or governments, which may be a higher risk. The potential return on bonds is lower than shares, but the risk is also lower. Bonds are considered a more stable investment than shares, but don't worry, we'll talk about shares next. Bonds can be purchased as an ETF or as part of a managed fund. You probably already own some bonds in your super fund. Bonds can be used to reduce your overall risk in a portfolio thanks to the power of diversification, but they're not entirely risk-free. Anna, do you invest in bonds? Yeah, I actually have a bond ETF that I purchased back in the day because when I did my original research in investing, bonds was something that you needed to invest in. And uh, so I do hold an I think two ETFs with bonds, surprisingly. I think a Canadian one and an American one because at the time I was uh, living in Canada. What about you? When I first started investing, we were in like a very low interest rate time in the world. So bonds just had no return or they were having like negative returns. So it seemed very silly for me to buy bonds. But I understand now why they're really good and part of a diversified portfolio. But I did hold bonds in diversified ETFs such as VDHD or like in my super fund, like I just said earlier as well. So I was buying them without realizing that I was buying them. Yeah, that's the big thing I think with investing is that sometimes you don't realize that your super fund, your retirement fund has cash or has bonds because people just think of it as a thing that shares. happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, you just think it's all shares. Actually, yeah. I don't even know if people think there's like, what do people think is in their super fund? That's an interesting question. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe just shares? Do we think it's just like cash or is it just cash sitting and saving up? Interesting. Hmm. That's a question for our audience. Yeah. Let us so know. We'll have to pull that one. Yeah. <laughs> Should we talk about shares now? Yeah. Shares is a great one. So shares is also known as equities or stock. It gets referenced in a lot of different ways. And here we call them shares in Australia. What they are actually is a piece of a company that you directly own or indirectly own through something like a managed fund or an ETF. So ETF being an exchange traded fund. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Shares are considered high risk. The long-term returns are generally higher than cash and bonds, but can be more volatile due to constantly changing share price and the ability to buy and sell them easily. And the reason is that for this is you can just go onto your broker, buy and sell quickly, which is not the case with property, right? Like that doesn't happen in a matter of seconds. And that's why they're also a tad more volatile. Yes. When you see all the red and green everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. The red and green we keep referencing. Shares can be two-dimensional assets, which means that they can make money in two ways. One is dividends, uh, which means that the company pays the shareholder some of its profits. 
And number two is capital gains. This is the difference between the price the share was initially bought for and the price it was sold for. So for example, if you buy a share for $10 and then sell it for $15, you made a capital gain of $5. Now let's say that same specific share, you also got a dividend of $1. This means that your total return on this asset is $6. Now dividends are similar to receiving rent on a property. It's the income payment that you get. And capital gains is what happens when you sell the asset, which is very similar to if you sell a property, you also get a capital gain. And both of these are taxed, which is something that people forget about. (laughs) Yeah. And when we talk about investing, often we forget that you get dividends or an income payment too, because you often see investing returns kind of just as like, oh, you lost this money on the share price or you gained this money on the share price rather than like all the income you earn along the way as well. When did you first learn about dividends? That's a great comment because people often forget about the dividend side of it, right? You you look at the price often. Oh, I bought it at $5. Now it's $3. Oh my gosh. But you forget that often, especially with ETFs, you get that payment. And that payment is so magical because it can buy more of that share, right? And it continues to grow. Especially Australian companies as well, because I think we just look at the share price return or like the capital gain we have. But some Australian companies actually pay pretty decent dividends and have this magical thing called franking credits as well attached to them, which can make them almost tax-free as well, which is pretty cool. I love using ShareSite, which is a product that you can sign up for and link to your brokerage account. And it actually tracks those two specific things, your dividends and your capital gains, and it gives you a total return. And that part is really interesting to see because sometimes you see that your dividends have outperformed the capital gains of that specific ETF or share. And um, it's a great way to be able to track your investments. And it shows you your currency return as well, because obviously like currencies fluctuate. And I think that's really interesting as well. And then it gives you your total number at the end, which I love. Yes. So check it out if you haven't already. Yeah, it's free initially. So it's a good time. (laughs) Yeah. So shares are best suited for investors with a high risk tolerance and a longer time frame. And the reason for this is that the market is volatile and having a longer time frame allows the market to potentially recover. What we specifically love talking about are ETFs, which are exchange traded funds. And the important thing to remember is that they're still shares. They're just a bundle of shares. You have lots of shares in an ETF. (laughs) And when we say a bundle, like I think you imagine like a few, but if you're talking about something like the S&P 500, there's 500 shares in that bundle. That's a lot. That's a lot yep. of companies yep. that you have bundled. <laughs> so oh, they're a bas- <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they're a basket of shares and they're bought and sold on the stock exchange and they're managed by a professional. They can either be active or passive and they're bought through a broker. So I said a lot of words there. <laughs> what does that actually mean? A passive index basically means that it is a fund that tracks an index. So for example, the ASX 200 tracks the 200 largest listed companies in Australia, whereas Tash just mentioned the S&P 500, and that tracks the 500 largest listed companies in the U.S., both of these are passive and they just track those indices. And when I say indices, indices yeah, yeah. Word. <laughs> that's the plural of index, but you can say indexes or indices. We are accepting of all terms here. I can't, I can't get around indices. It just doesn't work in my brain. I like indexes, but indices yeah. sounds smarter. Welcome to the confusing world of investing. Exactly. It's confusing if you didn't, if you didn't know that. So 
What's passive and what's active? Passive ETFs usually track an index like the one we just mentioned, S&P 500 and the ASX 200 are ones you will definitely hear mentioned quite a bit. Active ETFs usually have higher fees, but over the long term, passive investment funds usually perform better, which is pretty crazy. Why would you want to pay more fees for lower returns? More than 80% of Australian fund managers underperform the index over 15 years. That's a lot. But in the US, even worse, 92% delivered lower returns than the S&P 500 index, which is crazy. 80% and 92% passive for me, thanks. (laughs) Higher fees as well. Yeah. Back to the Fidelity study from last week as well. The passive investing works. Yeah. Passive investing. Don't touch your stuff. Just passive. Yeah. (laughs) Just go do something else. (laughs) Yeah. While we're talking about ETFs, I think it's important to point out here that what you buy matters more than where you buy it. Let's say you want to buy some chocolates. There are lots of brands to pick from and you can either get a mix or a singular bar, for example, like a box of favorites or a bar of dairy milk. There are lots of places you can buy it from, Coles, Woolies, a petrol station or in bulk at Costco. Different shops or different brokers offer different things. Some are cheaper, some have better features, some are more convenient for you, but this depends on your circumstances. It doesn't really matter if you get your chocolate from Coles or Woolies. And I say all of this because I know we both spend too long trying to pick which broker to use to buy our investments. So I've just highlighted that here. And we've changed our brokers. So just find what works for you, right? Yeah. Why do you invest in ETFs? I think we both said that we love ETFs. Yes. Uh, Why do I invest in ETFs? Because it's diversified for me. I think being able to own companies that are both in Australia, in Canada, in the US, um, emerging markets is something that I really like. I like that it's passive. It's very easy to do it. If I need to sell some of it, it's not as though I have to sell the bathroom of my house. Mm -hmm. I can literally just (laughs) choose the amount and sell it. It's low cost. It's easy to get into. Yeah. What about you? Why do you invest in ETFs? I want investing to be easy and simple, and I don't want to be the person sitting there with four computer screens watching the market all day, every day. And I am not a professional. Like There are people out there who have way more education and a lot more experience, and especially with things like the ASX 200 or the S&P 500. Those are massive companies doing really cool things, and I think it's easy to just use an ETF and not think about it and just stick to my strategy that way. And the less meddling I do, the better as well, because as soon as I start trying to pick stuff myself, I just go off and lose a bit of money there. So it just works. Set and forget, put it in the background. Works nicely for me. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to just agree on with that is the passive side of things. It is so nice to not have to worry about it and then see in your bank account that you got a dividend payment and I did nothing. I didn't have to deal with tenants. I didn't have to deal with anyone. I didn't have to, you know, check on the property. I literally rental property reports. Fix something. Yeah. That's actually my favorite part. And speaking of that in comparison to property, the next type of investment that we're talking about is property. Because we're in Australia, property is definitely one of the most popular and traditional investment options. I'm sure you all know someone who wants to own property or owns property. It's something that everyone seems to talk about. You can invest in property by buying a rental property, such as a house or apartment, or you can buy commercial property, such as an office space. If you don't have enough savings to buy a whole property, which is actually a lot these days, you can invest in a property fund such as a REIT, which is a real estate investment trust. Property is a two-dimensional asset, so you can earn income through rent and capital gains, just like we talked about above with shares. The risk is medium to high, but this depends on the investments and things such as dwelling type, so an apartment or a house, location, and tenancy risk, such as your property being left vacant. There's actually so many more fees to property than I thought. 
Like when I got new tenants, I had to pay a leasing fee, which is two weeks rent. And when you're like working out your overall returns, you think of a whole year of rent, not missing those two weeks in there. But property values can fluctuate greatly and you're exposed to other risks such as interest rate changes, which can increase the cost of your mortgage and natural disasters such as fires and flooding. While property is higher risk than cash and bonds, this means you may be able to expect higher returns over the long term. Property can be expensive to buy and sell, plus takes time. I didn't realize all the extra fees that go into buying a property. Like I knew there was stamp duty and things like that, but then I had to pay settlement fees as well, which is like an extra bonus. I wasn't prepared. Like I was prepared, but I didn't expect it as well. Oh, it's so expensive. Oh, don't even get me started about stamp mm. duty, but it can, it can get so expensive. And then similarly to sell it is very expensive, right? Like you kind of yeah. have to go through, through costs as well. Whereas shares is quite different. So in terms of property, Tash, do you like investing in property? Yes and no. What a question. I have an apartment that I rent out and I know there's a huge ethical side to property investing, but I just go over my quick property journey. I bought it back at the start of COVID. So in March, of 2020. And I was very lucky because interest rates were very low. There wasn't much competition because everyone was quite fearful of the market and what was going to happen. And no one was really going to home opens either. So I bought it for 295,000, which is very cheap because I'm in Perth and put down a 20% deposit. But the extra fees that I wasn't expecting were like the stamp duty ones. Um, I had to pay like the prorated rates and council rates as well. So I got a bill for those, which I wasn't expecting either. And then I lived in it for a bit, but now that it's rented out, I like it because it's slightly positively geared. So I make a bit of money from it. It's paying off my mortgage. It works well. My tenants have been lovely. I've been really lucky with that. But initially I was like, oh no, it's draining all my money. I can't invest in shares right now. And it's just like very overwhelming for this like one apartment. And there was lots of problems at the start because it was a new apartment as well. But I think I like it now within reason. Controversial question. Do you think owner occupied property is an investment? No, I know. Yeah. I don't think so. No, because you're not actually earning income off it. So I kind of see investments as something that's like two-dimensional where you get your capital gains and you make money off of it. But I think when you're living in it, it's your it's where you're living. It's your you need it as your residence. You're not using it to make money off it. And capital gains is a fun bonus that you get if you move out and sell it, but that's not the primary purpose of it. And I think it's hard when we're treating our primary place of residence as like our investment. Cause then you're like you're doing things for aesthetic reasons, not for investing reasons, I guess. What do you think about that? No, I completely agree with you. I don't think my primary residence is an investment at all because I won't see any of the gains. None of the gains will be realized until I sell it. And who knows if I'll sell it? Like this is my home where I want to live in for a very long period of time. And like you said, you don't receive any rent. There's no dividends payment on your primary property. And it really makes no difference between if I was renting or if I was living in a property that I own. Yeah. I think it's like the mindset behind it as well, because when you're finding a property to invest in, you're looking purely for investment reasons. But when you're looking at a property to live in, you want those aesthetic candy things that might not make you as much money. So yeah, definitely good to separate those two mindsets and have investments on the side as well. It's also kind of dangerous to put all of your wealth into one property as well. And if that's your investment in your mind as well, then you're going to pay off your mortgage, put all the money in, and that can be quite dangerous because it's concentration risk. Yeah. It's not diversified, right? And that's something that we talked about previously as well. Yeah. And in terms of rates, I think that that's an interesting one. Um, I know when I first heard about rates, I was like, oh, you can invest in property without actually owning property. That's really cool. Do you ha- own any REITs? I have a few that I bought ages and ages ago. I don't actively buy them at the moment because I have so much of my 
money kind of concentrated into my apartment. I wanted to keep buying shares in other places. And I think with COVID as well, a lot of REITs didn't do well because they were investing in things like office spaces. I don't know how they're going at the moment, but yeah, office spaces obviously suffered a bit during COVID. I think it's something I want to look into a little bit more, but for now, I just have a few that are still sitting there. But you have a few, don't you? Yeah. Originally, I think I mentioned this before, when I started investing, I literally bought every everything as diversified as I could, all the bonds, all the rates, all you know, all of the different locations, I guess, to try to be as diversified. So I do hold some, I don't actively invest in them now, but I guess I could say I have a quite diverse <laughs> investment um, strategy. Yeah. But um, yeah. Same. I, I can feel that. I've bought everything as well. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, if I could go back in time, I'd probably adjust some of those things, but it is interesting that I do hold those. Um, my favorite kind of question that we've written down for this episode is why do people see shares as more risky than property? Do you want to start off with this one? Oh yeah. I think that most people look at shares and because it's not tangible, you know, it's not physical, you can't hold a share the way that you can. Yeah. The way you can, you know, touch your house or your property that people think that it's more risky, right? Like it's a number on a piece of paper. But the reality is, is that if you hold a share, you're holding a piece of a company. So if you're, for example, invested in Bunnings or in Kohl's or in Woolies, you literally can go to those buildings and touch them. They are real live businesses, but because you can't kind of see them, they seem more risky and the price fluctuates quite a bit, right? You see a share price going up and down and that's something you don't see see with your property. Property also goes up and down. Yeah, but you're not checking it every single day sitting on your computer being like, oh, did it go down $500 today? Exactly. Yeah. What about you? I think it's really interesting you said about Bunnings. Like you can go and physically see the business. All the same with like Coles or Woolworths as well. Like you can just, or Qantas, we sit on the planes, we touch the planes, we fly in the planes. But yeah, I think property to me is almost a little bit more risky because you are putting a lot of money into one asset. So you have the concentration risk. You also need to over leverage. So you need to borrow money to buy a property. We can't just like go and throw down 300 grand these days to buy something. So you are leveraged, which means you're in debt and you have to pay that debt back. And yeah, you are concentrated into one asset. Whereas shares, like they are more liquid. You can sell them if you really need to. Um, I like what we were saying before, you can't just like sell off one bathroom in your house. If you need some money, you have to sell the whole thing. And it takes months and months to sell as well. Like you have to pay fees to sell and fees to list and it's very expensive and then pay tax so quickly as well. But with shares, they're more liquid. You can sell them if you need to, which isn't ideal, but you can do it. And I think it's also um, back from like the GFC, the GFC, global financial crisis. When I say GFC, I think of like BFG, but the, yeah. like, the big friendly giant. <laughs> back in 2008, like lots of people have those stories of like so-and-so bought shares and they lost all their money or, and then people think it's really risky from that. But I think everyone just kind of like looks at the risk of shares as a whole, instead of thinking about what those people are actually investing in. Like were they investing in one company that went bankrupt or were they investing in a broad index fund or ETF like we do? And I think we hear that, that one story and think it's very risky. But you don't really hear, especially in Australia, of people losing all of their money from a property. Like it definitely happened in the US, but we won't hear like that in most of Australia. So you don't hear those stories. So I think it's really important to like actually ask people what they're investing in if you hear those stories of them losing all their money. And to add to that, 
often these people don't talk about what their goals were, right? And often when you're investing in property or in shares, it's a long-term investment. It's not something that you invest in for six months and then pull out. You don't buy a property for that. And similarly, often if you're investing in ETFs, it makes more sense to hold it for a longer time frame, which is, which is why people often say, if you have short-term goals, cash is probably the best way to go about it. If it's shares, you want to be investing for, you know, seven to 10 years at least. And so similarly to what you're talking about, when something like the GS BFC hit, were those people, you know, BFG, investing long? In my mind. Yeah, the BFG, the big friendly. <laughs> not so friendly global crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, was that was that something that people were investing in short term, freaked out, pulled all their money out, or were they riding it out? Because those people that wrote it out, they got massive gains, right? It took a yeah. while for it to recover, but they were better off, especially if they were buying at that time, because they were buying at the bottom of the market. Mm -hmm. But we don't know what's going to happen with the market. (laughs) Yeah. And there's like, you can manage your risk. Like I think the important part of investing is having a plan, having a strategy and having a long-term goal. And if you have your emergency fund, you have your insurances in place because you can have income protection or like, what is it? Total and permanent disability insurance. Like if you manage all of those risks and you have all of that set up and the GFC or something happens again, like you've planned and prepared for it and you don't need to panic sell and you don't need to take your money out when you've lost money. But I think it's very easy to sit there and see, oh no, all of the stock's going down. The news is really bad. People are losing their jobs. I better sell now when in reality, that's actually the best time to buy. Yeah, exactly. That's managing risk is a big one that yeah. often doesn't get talked about a lot. It's a, often returns get talked about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They definitely focus on returns. Um, next week, we'll talk about investment strategies though. So we'll touch on this in a lot more detail. Very exciting. Before we sign off, what are some actionable items that you think our audience can do after this episode? The first one, if you've heard of the magical word or also the terrifying word called net worth, um, I want you to all go and write down all of your assets and investments and the value against them as well. So go through and see how much is in your super, how much you have in cash. If you bought bonds or shares or property, write down the amount of those as well. And then if we're doing net worth, then write down all of your debts too. So just getting a nice overall picture of your financial position and where you are at the moment. It's just a nice thing to benchmark. It doesn't mean anything really, but it's just a good thing to know how much it's like a vanity metrics, you know, but at the same time, it's really important to kind of know how much debt you have and how many assets you have. Yeah. I don't like measuring or tracking net worth as much anymore. I used to be obsessed with it when I was younger because I was like, look how cool all this money is together. But I like to focus on things inside my control, like how much I'm actually investing or how much I'm actually saving rather than what the current price of my investments are. So net worth is fun to sit down and write it all out and see where you are, but you can't have a direct impact over your net worth. You can only have a direct impact of like your strategy and how much you're investing. So don't stress about it too much. Yeah. That, which is why we're talking about strategy next, next episode. Yeah. And the next one, Google one word that you heard today, but you're still unsure about. There are so many words that we throw out when we're talking about investing. Um, for example, you could Google ETF or broker or my fun risk ones for today, tenancy risk or counterparty risk. Just go back and Google something that you're unsure about. Or the BFG. <laughs> yes, don't <laughs> go read my favorite Dahl. Roald Dahl book. Yeah. <laughs> oh. That's what I'm going to call it now, which is not great, but yeah. <laughs> the GFC and the BFG. Yeah. 
And another good thing to just do is check out your super and see what you're actually invested in. You might be invested in some ETFs, in some shares, in some cash, in some bonds, in some property, some REITs. That's really important just to kind of know what you're invested in and know how diversified you are because that's uh, quite valuable. Yeah. And see what like portfolio option you've picked because often they're those pre-mixed solution ones. So are you in a conservative portfolio or are you in a high growth portfolio? I think that's really important to take a note of. Yeah. Great. Well, I think, I think we smashed the types of investments. One of the things we didn't really talk about too much is alternative investments. Oh yes. What do you think about NFTs and crypto? Do you think they're investments? Um, I think they're speculative. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, they're very exciting. And we definitely had a year where everyone was talking about crypto and NFTs and how they were going to go to the moon. And we saw how quickly that fell apart. But yeah, I think it's definitely important to highlight that they are very speculative. They don't have years and years of like research and stuff behind them as well. And often they're not two dimensional, like with shares and property, you can make income and Hopefully they'll go up and you'll make money that way too. But with crypto and NFTs, it's a lot harder. Yeah, I think a a lot of the alternative stuff can be speculative. And when we use the word speculative, it just literally means people are speculating that it's going to go up in value or down in value. And um, because it's speculating, it's less investing and more gambling. And that's something that um, has a risk. It's worth noting, but it has a very, very large risk as well. Um, You can also buy precious metals and things like gold and silver. Or I think I've heard people even talking about like lithium a lot. That's been a hot one of the moment as well. I don't really know what the big craze is behind there myself, but batteries. Yeah. I know a lot of people are like gold hedges against inflation and people said Bitcoin did that as well, which it hasn't so far. But at least gold is gold. I don't know. I think um, gold is also a store of value in a lot of developing countries as well. Like we're very privileged to have access to our like ADI institutions where our money is protected and stable economies and we can have brokers that are protected by all these regulations. But a lot of countries aren't as privileged to have all of that or it's a lot more challenging to access. So I know in India, I think a lot of value is stored in gold by people in and stuff like that as well. So not all speculative, but yeah, just different assets from around the world. Gold is less speculative because it is it has previously been tied to currency. You can actually get ETFs that are invested directly into gold. Yeah. And I think a lot of um, robo-advisors like, is it Stockspot has gold in their portfolios to hedge against inflation? I think that's their purpose. But yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of portfolios are still including them. And my dad is a huge fan. He likes gold. He'll rant on about gold forever. Yeah. Lots of people do. They do love yeah. the precious metals because they are less volatile. Um, some of them, some of them can be. It's so interesting. Yeah. My dad um, likes to talk about property and gold because he can't touch it as easily as he can with shares. He's. It's interesting because he's kind of identified that he can't buy shares anymore because he'll just buy and sell them and trade them and lose all of his money. But with property or gold or something like that, he can't do it. So do what works for you. <laughs> I remember being a kid and my dad having a little nugget of gold in our safe. Yes. Yeah. And I thought that was so cool. You'd pull it out and you'd be like, wow, this is valuable. This is gold. You know, Um, my grandma went to the mint and bought it and put it in her handbag and just like casually caught the train home with this gold in her handbag. And I was like, what are you doing? You're this little old lady. But anyway, if she got it, she's happy. She's proud. But it's true. Like you said, in a lot of these countries where maybe currency and shares are not as readily available, it's more volatile, it's difficult. Having something physical such as property or such as gold might be a little bit more secure. So again, that risk tolerance depends on where you are, what you're doing and 
what you have access to. What are the countries with hectic inflation at the moment, like Venezuela or Sri Lanka at the moment as well as experiencing that? Like it's very hard to tell people to put their money in a cash savings account when it's not safe or it's not going to be worth anything tomorrow. So acknowledging our privilege, but anyway. Yeah, absolutely. We want to hear more of your sound bites though. So send us a question you want us to answer. We'd love to do some Q&A kind of episodes or tell us what your favorite investment is and why. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, I'll pop the link up on my stories. Last episode, we asked you to send in your why for investing and we got some really awesome answers. I actually got a bit teary listening to one of them because they just sound so amazing. So here they are. What's my why for investing? I want to live a life that I choose, not that someone else chooses for me by the amount of money in my bank account. I want to be able to travel and enjoy things now while I'm fit and healthy and I can actually enjoy them versus waiting till I'm older, waiting till I'm retired and maybe not being able to do those things uh, because of health issues or family issues or anything else. I want to live life on my own terms. That's why I invest. I started investing when I was like 19 because I grew up not wealthy and my best friend at that time grew up super wealthy and she was saying how for her 18th birthday, her parents gave her 30 grand because they'd been investing regularly since she was born and you know they all get the money that is invested when they turn 18 and I just thought, oh my God, like that is just life-changing and awesome and I'm so jealous and just kind of thinking, okay, that's how rich people get rich, they invest. So I endeavored to learn heaps about investing and I've been investing ever since. I have chosen a career that I love and the work is incredibly important, but it's also a very much female-led industry. And so there is always going to be a significant pay gap towards those that are more male-orientated. So with 20 years experience and I'm now in a leadership position, I've reached the top of my pay scale. So investing gives me an opportunity to still be financially progressive. And as a single parent, that's really important to me. So investing gives me an opportunity to invest for my child. Uh, One of those areas that I'm most focused on at the moment is her future education and making sure that she has the same opportunities as a child that would come from a two-parent family. So yeah, investing is incredibly important and something that I very much promote with all my female friends. Oh, those are so beautiful. I love hearing people's whys because it it is mainly the reason why you feel like you can follow through with your strategy. So thank you so much for sharing those. Yes, I love hearing people's actual voices. I feel like when you read it on the screen, it's great, but it doesn't have the same impact as actually hearing it from real people. So thank you so much. And then next week, we're going to be talking about all about investment strategies. So we'll see you then. Thanks so much for joining us in this episode. If you found it helpful, feel free to leave us a rating or review or share with a friend. Make sure to follow us on social at Get Rich Slow Club, or you can follow Tash at Tash Invests or me at Anna Christina. This show was brought to you by Natasha Etchman, who is an authorized representative, 12-99881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420-367, and Perla, who is an authorized representative, 128-1540 of Sanlam Private Wealth, AFSL 337-927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info.